Yes, nod. You know, the visual medium, Tom. That's good. <laughs> I was nodding sternly, very sternly. <laughs> oh, we've lost it already. It took a couple of minutes last time. <laughs> Maximus, the Transformers podcast that is so full of sin, the mere act of listening to it will send you to burn in a big fiery pot of hell for all eternity. We probably should have mentioned that 11 episodes ago, but it's too late now. Joining me to prove that the devil has all the best podcasters, it's Tom. Hello. And Marion. Hi. And I am Stuart. And my greatest sin is I spent far more time on these introductions than any of the content of the actual podcast. So you two are really going to have to help carry me here now. So, uh, what could we be talking about today? Well, as you may have guessed from my sins theme based introduction, we are talking about uh, Empire of Stone. No, no, of course not. We're talking about uh, Sins of the Wreckers, the popular Nick Roach written and drawn follow up. Two last stand of records that we are currently three issues in on. Uh, there's a bit, a bit of a production gap for uh, personal reasons on Mr. Roach's part. Uh, so we thought we'd cover the first three fifths before we went on to do the, uh, the last bit. Uh, and I suppose as a quick proceed, we should briefly talk about what we thought of last stand of records, as this is sort of a, a key follow up to that. Uh, did you two enjoy the original series? Oh, yeah, definitely. The context was different because I guess Last Time of the Wreckers came out during a, a particularly bleak part of the Transformers comic run and it was a tremendous breath of fresh air. This, I guess, has the weight of that expectation around it and also just has better stuff surrounding it. So, yeah, I love Last Time of the Wreckers, but I feel that this has got a harder job to follow up on it. I, I was kind of okay when I first read Last Time of the Wreckers. I thought it was just all right. I wasn't particularly thrilled by it. It wasn't till years later when the hardback came out. I read all the extra stories at the back and it was uh, after I started reading more of the Mitsuya again that it kind of fell into place for me. And then I think I appreciated it more. Uh, so now looking back, I think it's a, it's a very good book. It's a kind of special kind of book in the IDW continuity. There's nothing else quite like it. That's interesting, because when I read the... I, I thought the hardcover, all the extra content, really kind of... I think it sort of sagged for the weight of things. I thought, like, every little... Every, every subtlety in the story was hammered upon uh, yeah. with the text stories. Seems it's, it, it brought all the, all the subtext way out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that said, the, the hardcover is a lovely... displays very nicely, and I'm very glad to have it. I guess because you get all this continuity dump in the extra stories, that kind of like brought it in for me more mm. in my case uh, I think we may have touched upon this when we did Chaos Theory Tom so I won't go into huge detail but I wasn't reading the comics at the time uh, the start of my Costa era had successfully and I thought permanently at the time put me off the comic but this threw me back in rather like Marion I, mean, I think I enjoyed it more the first time I read it I enjoyed it but just thought it was generally okay thought it fell apart a bit at the end but every subsequent rereading has made it more solid, more enjoyable, brought out more subtleties. I love all the extra stuff. I think Bullets is a fantastic story. Uh, nice to see some added depth for Skyfall. 
Yeah, they named James Bond film after him because of bullets, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's a very, very durable series. It set a set a benchmark for the time. Uh, I think I think since Nick Roach has sort of got a bit overlooked because at the time, yeah, obviously he was the established writer, stroke artist. Uh, James Roberts was sort of his mates that he brought in to help out. But because James has gone on to do so much more, I think people tend to forget just how much that was a Nick Roach project that he had help on, rather than a, a James Roberts comic that Nick Roach did a bit of work on, which I think is how people tend to view it retrospectively now. Yeah, I think especially because Bullets was something of a of a backdoor pilot, is a word I've learned from you. That's two words, Tom. Nuts. Yeah, yeah, I learn more every day. A backdoor pilot for more than meets the eye in a lot of ways. What I didn't really get a feel for with Last Son of the Wreckers was Nick Roach's actual writing style, because before that he'd done just Spotlight Cup, I think. And since then, he also did Spotlight Megatron. But because that had been co-written with James Roberts, it was hard to tell what was Nick and what was James. And now I think I have a much clearer feel for that. So can you go back to Wreckers and now, uh, to the last stand of the Wreckers and now do you play that game where you try and pinpoint? Well, we know that the first couple of issues are pure Nick Roach. Mm. I don't know. I don't, want, I don't want to try and guess. The two of them work, have worked together or have been friends for a long time anyway. So I don't think their collaboration works exactly the same way as, you know, you, you take this bit, I take this bit. I think they bounce ideas off each other. So sometimes it gets really difficult to tell what would have been a Nick Roach idea, what would have been a James Roberts idea. But I think Nick Roach is actually much starker in his writing. There is humor there, but I think James Roberts brings a very different kind of humor. It's kind of bantery humor, and it's kind of like more bouncy, more lively. Uh, Nick Roach's writing so far and since has been, you know, quite bleak. And uh, we accuse James Roberts of being quite depressing at times and uh, making his readers miserable. But I don't think quite in the same way that Nick Roach is doing here, even though he hasn't so far killed anyone I care for in Sins of the Wreckers. But yeah, there's this atmosphere in Sins, which is uh, very, very different. Uh, Marion, have you ever read 2000 AD, the British um, uh, like science fiction anthology? Comic. I think randomly in the past. Okay. Randomly. I'd say more than anything else, Roche's writing style as it is, is has emerged from years of exposure to John Wagner and Pat Mills and co. That, that's a, uh, oh, sorry, sorry that, that's a key influence on Simon Furman as well. A lot of his writing in the 80s is very 2000 AD, especially with the solo Death Set series. That's Mm. Uh, it's, it's interesting, I, don't know, I was going to say when we got to it but Debris here does look like it belongs in 2018 the exterior you could imagine Johnny Alpha hanging out there quite easily yeah yeah definitely so I do think uh, James Roberts sort of reputation has been killed crazy a lot of that comes from Nick Roach I suspect most of the horrible deaths in Sins of Wreckers are Roach driven more than Roberts driven Anyway, Sins of Wreckers, issue one. So this is for five years, is it, after Last Stand finished? So it's fair to say a lot of anticipation. I wasn't really expected to see a full Nick Roach series again. I felt he pretty much moved on from Transformers because of his desire to do other things. Uh, he pretty much talks about how he likes drawing and writing humans. And he doesn't really often get to do that with Transformers. So he's wanted to do more of that. That's been a bit underappreciated by previous IDW editorial teams. 
I think he's mentioned the auto assembly, but he's sort of previous editors have told him they were more impressed in him as a, an artist than a writer, which you know, it's nice to change. Yeah, so as an asset, he's been really, yeah, underused. But we got him back. Uh, so what were you expecting before going into this venue too? Were you expecting just Last Stand 2 or uh, something more different or... I think that cover, the first image released, right? The uh, the the cover with Verity with her face in shadow and the a little hint of a spider web there with Springer. I think that is a really effective image and a gorgeous one. I think that that sets the tone and the content pretty well. So my my expectations, I I think, were managed very well. I haven't been surprised so far since since released that image. I think that image was released shortly before Auto Assembly, am I right? It would have been about that time, yes. I saw three first issues, so yeah, it must have been about it. So I hadn't really thought about it that much, but uh, because Nick Burrows had a panel at Auto Assembly where he talked a bit more about it, and then uh, he talked to anyone who you know went over to see him. So you could, you know, catch little snippets here and there of uh, what he was telling everyone. And he made it clear from the start that this wasn't going to be, at least it wasn't going to start off as um, uh, Rekis had. It was going to have more of a noir feel to it. It was a, it was a mystery. It was starting off slower. So I, I came in expecting that. Visually, it was the first thing that took me looking at the issue, because I, I don't read the previews, because I'm going to buy it anyway, so I, I very rarely bother with the previews. So a slightly visual difference to what we're used to from Nick Roach. Uh, I mean, I'm not an artistic type, for sure. You two could perhaps articulate how it's different better than I can. But a sort of slightly scratchier, that's the right word, I don't know, a style and uh, look to it. Uh, did take me uh, aback a bit because it, it feels so different. And I think smartly, because obviously Nick Roach has basically defined the visual look of the IDW universe at the moment when he did Death of Optimus Prime. Uh, he sort of visually conceptualised what everything else looks like now. So to do something that would stand out, he did, obviously thought reinventing himself a bit was a sensible idea. And it certainly works better here than, uh, to pick a random example, Don Figueroa's attempts to uh, try and do something different with his art. Uh, so visually, was the first thing that struck me about this. Well, I'd, I'd uh, interject on there and say I don't think this is so much a reinvention. I think he's just gotten a lot better. And, you know, and with that has come a bit more versatility. He's got more tools in his toolbox now. And I, I think just that, that first cover is a really good boast of that. Um, I, I don't, this isn't really so much of a different in style in just kind of allowing his style to be poured into different containers. I've always loved Negroche's art, but I have found it a little bit hit or miss in quality. I think when he does it well, he does it amazingly well. When he's rushed, it can come across as quite sloppy, yeah. perhaps. I agree, this is Nick Roach at one of his best. And it's not just him, just Bertram, what he's done with the colors here. Mm. This is one of my favorite Transformers books, art-wise. It's not just that it's different, it's that it hasn't been done quite like this before. Though Spotlight Cup did go for a kind of sort of similar aesthetic. But I think there's something very gothic about it, which appeals to me by default. The tone of it is just, there are particular panels that maybe we can pose at as we read through it that are especially standing out for me. But yeah, this is, I can't praise the art here enough. Every issue has just completely blown me away. I think um, it, it's really 
instructive to look at the other the the, the incentive covers and and Andrew Griffith who does the one of like Springer and everybody dropping from the sky and there's kind of a lot of speed lines and bright colors and see how that is completely the wrong cover for this book because there were a lot of covers wasn't it they got some uh, celebrity guest star artists to do a couple of covers as well I believe so um, I don't think I'm specifically familiar with that one but, but there were a lot of different styles of covers there so I'd agree they did it all reflect uh, the book exactly yeah they got like uh, saturated yellows and like glowing eyes and and uh, and everyone's screaming like that's not uh, yeah when people are screaming in this book it's not because they're having a good time or not because they're cool like they're, they're very hurt. They're all very hurt people. Yeah, it would have been a very different book. The thing is, we wouldn't have even thought about it if they'd just gone for the more traditional colours. We would have just accepted it for what it was. But now that we've got what we've got, anything else just would feel wrong. Yeah, I think that, uh, that hits it on mm-hmm. the head. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, well, starting right from the first page, we get a lot of interesting things set up. This is definitely not what you expect with this kind of quiet, mysterious, slow pull cup in space lovely uh, white splatters for stars and we get stampy carnivac and polar claw but we don't know that on the first read kind of confusing they actually look like bits of verity's coat or something or like a car mm. but uh, we're actually introduced to the villains right away i um, remember well, when this came out uh, the people were going oh that poor blair would it be funny if that was polar claw <laughs> Oh, wonder that be wacky. Uh, then it is Polar Claw, it turns out. Uh, the sneaky Mr. Roach turned it into a Beast Wars comic. <laughs> Tell you the first character we do see, but we know who it is, is Cub, who has been sort of a Nick Roach, uh, almost signature character, really, because, of course, it was the first thing that he wrote was that spotlight. And, uh, actually, I was going to say, Perhaps he wasn't especially happy with some of the things that happened to Cup that he didn't write, but that, no, that's unfair. I couldn't say that many. So, things were done to Cup by other authors that derailed his plan plotline with uh, the thing in, in his head for Brown and that. So he's sort of going back to basics with what he'd originally intended. Yeah, by 2000 AD authors, no less. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a cruelest cut of all. And he's now promised to make sure that there's nothing left for anyone else to get their hands at the end of this comic. Oh, <laughs> that is one of the problems, perhaps, with the scheduling, that we've had issues come out alongside this that are set afterwards. So we do know Cup and RC and whatever character that I will talk about in greater depth later on come out of this relatively the same. And it feels like we're sort of in Robots in the Scars moment that it's just writing them as he planned to write them all along and not really dealing with anything that might happen to him with this comic, which does create a slight drain of tension from anything that might happen to them here. Because you know they're going to wind up back where they started and never mention this again. So yeah, talking about the timing of this, we, we can guess that it takes place somewhere between X Robots in Disguise 44 and 45. So b- before they all get trapped on the Ark for, like, ten issues or whatever it was, yeah? Yeah, before Conquerors and the beginning of 44, 45, I think, uh, Cup and RC come back from somewhere. And that's how we can guess that they're just coming back from the adventures they've been having on Sins of the Wreckers. The last time we've seen Prowl was at the end of Combiner Wars, where he has his massive fight with Optimus. 
and then get struck to safety by... Oh, it's a rat trap, isn't it? Yeah. Now, will that get picked up on there? Because obviously Rat Trap is a big era character. These are all big era characters being naughty here. Is he in on it? Or? I was sure that Rat Trap was going to be the villain of this. <laughs> so we leave it off with Rat Trap basically saying, you're going to have to do something to make this right for me because this hasn't quite ended up the way we expected. And the next time we see Prowl is on the very first page of this issue where he's in Nome, Alaska. And then we lose sight of him. And then we assume is when mayhem get to him. So we don't know what's happened between issue 42 and seeing Prowl here. I just want to say how much I love that it is like set in a small town, like a, like a sparsely populated town, like right from the first page. Like this is a story which happens in Nome, Alaska, a place you've never heard of, but I assure you has been researched to at least a, you know, a passing degree. Um, I like it. It's a good mission statement. Often when Transformers use real places, they're either like quite generic versions of big cities or just sort of desert. And of course, this uh, sort of area, it's not quite Canada, but it's in the same sort of uh, ballpark geographically. That's an area Simon Thurman likes a lot. He set many of his uh, British Transformers stories around that area just so he could put polar bears in them. Because <laughs> uh, he likes polar bears. And that, I think Nick, Nick Roach even said at the top, before we found out what was really going on, he was like, oh, the polar bears just a homage to Simon Furman. Uh, <laughs> he said, that's a pointless, sneaky scamp that he is. But uh, so it's got to, it's sort of a homage without being an overt homage. And of course, it's evocative of things like uh, The Thing and uh, 30 Days of Nights and uh, Alien v Predator, that classic. The thing was was Antarctica, and I think so was Alien vs Predator. It's snowy and icy and small. <laughs> town. It's a small town in Alien. Anyway, it's a whaling town as well. That would be Arctic. Yeah, Antarctic is uninhabited, and and Arctic does have you know gold rush towns and things like that. Yeah. Also, this is Alaska. Yeah. 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 It's visual, visual homage. It's not an exact. Uh... Okay, and it is. I find the setting I mean I love the snowy setting and I know Nick Roach said he chose that specifically because he wanted it to be a kind of Christmassy kind of story that was before the holiday special uh, was announced but I think it's very integrally part of the sort of the feel of the story here and I love how there's mention to it being really cold you know very this kind of thing kind of shivering and um Obviously, all the animals come into it. I wonder what they would have been if uh, it wasn't set somewhere. Um, <laughs> would they have been just like, I don't know, random bears and uh, <laughs> random hares? But yeah, that, that, that's why I love it. It's like from the intentionally silly ones like, like Clawjaw. Actually, even even giant, uh, colossal squids and giant squids do found somewhere up in the Arctic. But yeah, like the, like the setting informs... Like the palette, the tone, the the characters, even the beast forms, and like even like Stakeout is drawn as an Alaskan police vehicle. I, you know, it's it's very it's thorough in a way that setting something on Garrus Nine doesn't have to be. I really like how Roche has embraced the fact that this is set on Earth and and can and you can take cues from what happens on Earth. And I've been uh, tooling around on Google Street View this morning. And I, I'm pretty sure he's done the same thing. Like you know, these are the same sorts of structures. Like even just when they're on the pier, like oh, that's all, that's all there. It's, it, it is these sorts of people driving these sorts of cars in this sort. And even the trees are on point. 
it's great. I, 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 more of that. More of that sort of thing. Mm. And uh, what, what do we think about the inclusion of RC as one of the new team Because I do know uh, at least one person who was made really dislike IDWRC and they were put off by her inclusion in scenes. So uh, do, do we like her? Dislike her? I like RC. Like with Prowl, when different writers pick her up, I find her depiction to be very inconsistent. Uh, I can see RC with the records, they fit. Uh, although she's she's not quite as happy following orders, just following orders. Uh, I can't see her as a wrecker, maybe, but I can see her hanging out with them um, in the same way that, you know, she seemed happy hanging out with Whirl back in Dark Cybertron. If you're going to have a story about Prowl, I think I'll, RC would have been in it. So it's a logical inclusion. Yeah, I, I, I quite like what Bob has been doing with RC. He's kind of rehabilitated her in a way that I think's credible. I like that she is she's a recent convert to the Autobots and she's kind of like come in through the back door through being Prowl's off the books assassin and is like come to embrace their good qualities and to the point where now she is quite incensed by what she how she feels like the wall was pulled over her eyes. Uh, and now she is this idealist. She's also like a bit autistic. I think that's my read on her. She's not very good with people. She's obviously had this trauma in her past and, you know, is a bit kind of hung up on who's telling her what to do and why. Uh, and I think that those are all pretty, those are all part of the themes. It's all about being disillusioned with your side, crimes committed in your name and the ideal and the contradiction of your ideals. I think she's a perfect character for this. And they're really great. So that, you know, it's our three line. She's our point of view. Yeah, I, I'd agree with Barry and uh, uh, she's a sensible include. Oh, and you, because you said the same things, so I'm sorry. Uh, and both of you. I'd agree with both of you uh, <laughs> there in uh, that uh, yeah, the, uh, the inclusion of Prowl as a central character uh, makes her inclusion as well sensible. I don't think she maybe comes across all that well in the three issues so far. She comes across as a bit dim in places where she's pointed at the dying, vomiting human again. You've put Prowl somewhere, haven't you? Come on, where have you put him? Where is he? I don't believe you're not behind this. And I cringe a bit at that bit because she was just felt a bit slightly too thick. She's uh, very um, brutal. And uh, uh, yeah, and uh, she's a bit slow on the uptake. She's, she's been a blunt instrument for the longest time. And she she's not socialized. She doesn't know what humans are, really. Mm. She reacts to things without knowing the details. I don't think that's out of character. It just felt a bit more heavy-handed than usual for her. She, but, uh, in my opinion, anyway. But uh... Oh, yeah, I can agree to that. Yeah, it's pretty heavy-handed. I mean, it is like... It is for these dramatic beats. Like, she's got a hip cup over the head so that now we don't know where she's gone. And then she, like interrupts this nice touching talk between Stakeout and Verity because she's blown them up. <laughs> and she comes in looking like a vision from hell. Got memory to the very 2000 AD-ish debris, uh, which I never thought of as a, as a space station before, to be honest. So I'd have always painted it as a base on Cybertron. So that's uh, an interesting little detail. And what I love is it's a casual reintroduction to impact her because he's been missing from present-day fiction from what well, the full five years since uh, Last Stand. Um, there's been a bit of a mystery about where he is. He's felt like an odd exclusion for more than BTI at times, as Megatron's presence there. I felt like that was very deliberately avoiding bringing those two back together. 
So it's not that when we cut back to him, he said, yeah, he's, he's hanging around Wrecker's base, just sitting yeah. around, not doing much for a couple of years. There's no great mystery there. Yes, got guzzled in a box. <laughs> yeah, he just went back to the office. Of course he did. He's got no, he, he has no life. He has nowhere to go. This is all he really knows how and what to do. Um, I like, yeah, first we see a gun and then we see him weeping. Like that's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a spent, person um and yeah of course he wouldn't be having great cool adventures even he admits like he's just kind of doing it out of momentum and not particularly sure what it is he's accomplishing by going around gunning down presumably uh innocent decepticons i thought this maximus Uh, the page, the, the introduction of debris, where you have Hubcap looking at the monitors and uh, Impactor looking very down. The final panel, on, I mean, the, the palette on that whole page, the palette in debris in general is fantastic. Mm. I love the design of debris itself. and uh, But the final panel there of Impactor, uh, just the, the colors, the texture, I really love it. It just sort of goes darker on the right. I don't know, it's very simple, very effective. Yeah, it's a great progression from what Bertram was doing in More Than Meets the Eye with these um, like almost fabric textures underlaid over things. I mean, it looks like here he's found a bunch of old canvases, uh, which are like sort of rusty and like dirty. I mean, it actually looks like mold on some of them. And yeah, he's layered that under. And even so, I think this is a coloring cue where like, the stars on the left-hand side of the page, that panel which extends all the way down to the bottom, mm-hmm. they're all in that kind of tarnished copper colour of Impactor and the cupboard where uh, uh, Guzzle's being kept. And that just offsets so that's so much better than if they'd kept that white because then you've got this very heavy left side, very light right side. Uh, yeah, 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 I agree with you. It's masterful. And last point, <laughs> uh, you've, you, since you clued me into the... 2018-ness of Debris, Stuart. I really can see that Debris looks like something Kevin O'Neill would draw. Yeah, he, he probably would. Right. Uh, what I like about the page of Robust, sir, is that this is basically a page that is to bring up people up to speed who haven't read the hardback by covering very quickly the fact that Robust has been looking after Springer, reading him stories, and the guzzles got a bit mental... And it could be quite a horrible page of awkward exposition, but instead it flows very nicely. Uh, it feels like things these people would say. It, uh, it's, it's not a very quick, dirty job to do. He's sort of recapping those events. Uh, but it does it much better than it but it's normally the case. Yeah, they're fairly, even though if you pick this up as a new reader, you wouldn't assume so. But as a, as an older reader, these first few pages, about half, about half the first issue is very continuity heavy. And Guzzle wants to peel off somebody's tyres. They slap you till the threads come off. <laughs> that sounds more kicky than a crisis. I love how that's a, that's a gory threat to a Transformer, to peel off your tire. It's just something that you would do to a, to, to a toy to break it as well. I, I quite like that, <laughs> that idea. I like how Rockbuster has finally gotten a personality. <laughs> yes, he wants to be nice now, and it's going to last for all of half an issue. <laughs> they are much more mellow these days. I like reading stories. It's, a, it's not about the shooting people with Peter Lee ahead anymore. <laughs> And then it's Prowl's secret office of a mystery of how Cup could get in there. 
Uh, I think we were all pretty much on the ball about what was going on with Cup, weren't we? It was uh, the connection with uh, All Hail Megatron Coda. The Prowl story at the end of All Hail Megatron. Yeah, and there's another thing that as a, as an old reader, you can't miss this. I mean, you know exactly what's going on here. As a new reader, you might question it, think, oh, something's out there. But then it gets explained for the the issue or the next issue rather. So it works on both levels. It works as something that rewards you for knowing what's going on and something that is not hard to follow if you've just picked the book up. And I was quite convinced at this point that uh, Prowl was hiding in Cup's head, which was so close to being right, while at the same time utterly wrong. Oh, when he'd been captured, that like he was like imprisoned in Cup's head. No, just when he got, he secreted himself in there for safety. He was just having a, a mad hallucination in there. I think this idea of like Prowl, who's a wanted criminal, like a high-ranking turncoat, I guess at this point, as far as Prime is concerned... Um, there are wanted posters up about him, but his bedroom on the ship he was hanging out on has been untouched. And like, oh, there's a locked door. But like, they, they all have, they could get through that if they really wanted to. They're on a spaceship. They could get around. There's a million ways they could get into that. And they just haven't yet to set up the sea. I think that's, that's quite a stretch. Just for the security of what he's got in there, they would like seize that. It'd be amazing if he was just in his room all along. Oh, <laughs> you found me, damn it. <laughs> I should have put a bit more effort into my escape, really. That was a mistake there. And our next returning character going through the Alaskan wilderness is Verity. Do we like Verity? Well, I, I think me and Tom have talked about Verity before on the Infiltration podcast. Uh, are you a Verity fan, Marion? I don't mind Verity. I mean, I can appreciate her on certain levels. I do find, like, if I knew her in person, I'd probably find her a bit annoying. But... You know, she's as far as humans go in Transformers, I think she's definitely one of the better ones. Uh, for, for me, in Last Stand, she was the main dead weight in that story, I thought. Uh, it never really, other than the fact Nick Roach wanted a human in it because he liked storing humans, it never really felt there was much point to her being there. But uh, at least so far, she feels much more organically included rather than just for the sake of bringing back an old piece of, uh, of dead continuity from the Furman era. It works better here, I think. She grounds the story, I find, in um, Last Under the Wreckers. Otherwise, it would be a little bit too over-the-top. I, I think, rather, it is over-the-top, but the over-the-topness would be lost. I think she kind of brings it down to earth a little bit. And, you know, her turning around, telling Overlord Megatron's dead is one of my favourite bits of uh, that whole story. So I can see why... People are not thrilled about her being there because, realistically speaking, you wouldn't take her, would you? I mean, come on. I know she, I know she sneaks in. Nevertheless, it does feel a little bit like, uh, no, no, I don't think you should be there at all. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 such a common trope. Uh, I, I don't know. That that doesn't really seem like a problem. And yeah, I think she had a good function in Last Time on the Records. I'd say my main criticism of that she wasn't drawn very well. If, uh, you know, from panel to panel, she looked a bit weird. But here, she's drawn a lot better, and she's effectively a different character. So I think it helps she's a decade older here than when she was first introduced. So she's basically late 20s, early 30s, I suppose, uh, at this point now. Mm. Mid to late 20s, I suppose. She was born so, in 1990. One. Oh, right, so she's slightly younger than I thought. 
Uh, but it sort of it avoids that, that problem that she had in infiltration of being a middle-aged British guy's idea of what an American teenager is like. You could write as a functional or just about adult now rather than trying to think, what are the kids like? I don't really know. <laughs> I live in the home counties. I think her use of language is consistent with uh, her use of language in Wreckers. She's kind of calmed down a little bit, but she's always been a bit of a smartass back in the Asians as well. So personality-wise, yeah, she's evolved a bit, but I find she's more or less the same character. And uh, a Prowl has turned out to have got a contingency for his own kidnapping. <laughs> it's about, I plan for everything. It's like I'm John Barber's Megatron, and it's got a plan for every eventuality. Well, of course he would. And if you, what man he wants to rescue him is a man in a coma. I think that would normally be a flaw in most people's contingency plans. Well, he seems very sure that Springer, we don't know when he recorded this, but he's very sure that Springer is definitely exactly where he expects him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, poor old Cup gets knocked out. Why somebody wants to go off and disobey orders, which is presumably a little nod at Eye of the Storm from the, uh, when Grimlock knocks him out when he's going to go uh, off to Hydra's Fall. Basically, if Cup ever says to you, you, know, oh, you can't do that, uh, he'll just get punched. He's a t- he must have some terrible concussion issues. <laughs> yeah, he's like an NFL player. That must be why you know he, he has trouble remembering things. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I found that that's kind of a weird beat. I don't know why, if RC is going to do that and smash someone over the head, by the end of the issue, she's still, she's like, they're still talking and they're fine. Yeah, they all, um, they all end up the same place at about the same time anyway. In fact, they get from debris to Earth only slightly slower than it takes some RC to get from Earth orbit to Earth. So I don't know what, what she was doing. Maybe she went around the houses a bit, got a bit lost. I don't know. But that, that's a slightly odd beat in the issue. Uh, uh, else on issue one, I really love the brushwork on the trees when Verity's outside. I really like how threatening Carnivac's foot is. And the the scene where Prowl wakes up all wet. And we kind of go from the, again, a mm-hmm. great colouring scene. We go from a, like a monochrome blue to that crazy lurid. And at this point in the story, after so much Alaskan wilderness, seeing those blues and yellows of the noise maze is actually quite shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, those sort of virtual reality mind prisons are quite common. Uh, I mean, uh, sort of in between, Nick Roach, when he would have written this and said it coming out, Doctor Who did one for its uh, penultimate episode this year. So it's, it's a very well-worn trope, but it's done very well here. It's sort of visually interesting, uh, has a nice, insane impact. Who could it be standing over Prowl in the noise maze with his uh, hunched shoulders? Could be anybody. Oh, big mystery. Um, Prowl is still missing an eye since Combiner Wars, so we could assume he hasn't had a chance to fix himself, but other than the eye, he seems to be in much better condition than last time we saw him when he was completely smashed up. So I can't tell if the book is trying to tell me that he's managed to fix some bits of himself since issue 42 of X-Read or whether this is just artist liberty but the eye is supposed to tell me that he hasn't had the chance to fix himself so I'm not sure what's going on here I, I think the eye I wouldn't be surprised if he believes in his eye was something that Nick Roach asked John Barber to do just because it's evocative of Overlord uh, when he uh-huh. gets harpooned in the eye hmm. and it's sort of a visual callback maybe even designed to lead you up the garden path a bit as to who the villain is going to turn out to be hmm. 
that will be my guess. Uh, and we have two other new records in this issue, Stakeout and Hubcap. Mm-hmm. Wasn't too sure about Stakeout the first time I read this. It felt like a lot of his backstory was missing. I think Nick Rage said on Twitter he did try and find to get 22 pages an issue rather than 20. Uh, and I think Stakeout is perhaps one of the areas he suffers from back because he sort of he's got this history with Verity and Ultra Magnus, and sort of has to get very quickly shoehorned into the conversation. But he's got a history with Carnivac later on that has to get only established right as they meet before he dies. Uh, I enjoyed it more reading it the second time though. I think he worked better on a second reading. But uh, I think he may be one of the, the slight victims of not having 22 pages overall. Yeah, but I like him as a as a. I think he, he serves his function well. I just, it's just nice, especially in a story like this, just to have pleasant characters who care about mm-hmm. other people. I mean, we got Roadbuster, but he's a bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> the fact that he cares is actually opposite to what we already know about him. Here, Stakeout is the times we live in. It is kind of a bit weird to have a a pleasant policeman who uh, is opposite to the general perception of policemen. Voltus Maximus. Yep. And yeah, I, I feel he and Verity make up the heart of the story. And they have this relationship which which generally makes Verity different. She hasn't ever been close to anyone before. And here she is close to this person who I guess is also killing her somehow in a mm. way which we don't quite know about yet. Yeah. Yeah, there's been something going on there with her illness. I've seen all sorts of speculation on that from her becoming a headmaster to her being pregnant with Stakeout's baby. That was one theory I read. Uh, no, I mean, insane if that turns out to be true. <laughs> and uh, I wonder if this is quite as lethal as they're making it look and maybe something else is going on here. I I, I have to agree that I, I really like Stakeout here. I think he's he's integral to this. His relationship with Verity is integral to this. And, uh, yeah, Nick wrote manages to get me to really care for him and then kill him within three issues not enough to make me terribly sad but enough to make <laughs> me go oh that did that really need to happen but no i uh yeah i think he's one of the one of my favorite things and our other new record is hubcap oh. who we, we know is a friend of pipes now dear hubcap having a wonderful oh. time got a bit sick got a bit shot Rereading it, uh, uh, for those of you who follow Marion on Twitter will know that she's been going through Dark Cybertron last week, uh, picking up every single guessaway line that now reads as incredibly evil and sinister in retrospect. Oh, it did at the time as well. That's why I remember some of that. You were ahead of a curve with us there. Uh, but here, reading it uh, back for this, uh, Hubcap's reaction to being ready back to thinks he's a fanboy, when he just goes, Ha! I'm not one of them! Whoa. That's just like, yeah, this man is a twat. I, I didn't spot that the first time uh, reading it through, but he's... Uh... I, I, I quite like how Hub... I mean, I'm not entirely sure yet what Hubcap's role in the story is. I know like he's, he's working for Tarantulas and such, but I really like how he's in there to... I, I, I like this addition to the mythos and the fact that we, we... Here, in this story, we get to talk about Transformer sensory modalities, and that makes me very pleased. <laughs> that... You know, Roadbuster can see and feel the Chimericons, but like he can't see them in a lot of other ways. And it's all about this kind of being hidden under, uh, going under the radar. And Hubcap has this like expanded sensory capacity. 
I really love that we're talking about this. It's like a great way of, of getting their mechanicalness in there and making plot points out of it without sacrificing their humanity. And uh, we have Wrecker's Graveyard as well, which feels... Uh, obviously, I think one of the more striking covers for Last Stand was that one of all their headstones. I think it was the... Uh, uh, who was the chap we did the variant covers? Uh, Hutchinson? Hutch, yeah, Hutch. Trevor Hutchinson, yeah. It feels like a, a nod at his cover to that... Uh, that was quite one of the more iconic ones uh, from a lot of iconic covers he did in that period of IDW. And of course, it turns out to be more important later on as well. Uh, yeah. We don't build gravestones big enough for Robuster to read properly, though, which I think is hard. Oh, yeah. He has to bend right down on his knees. Well, we know one of them is Hyperion, and Hyperion died not very honourably in battle, but rather <laughs> getting sucked out of the lost light. When the engine small functions on the first issue, bless him. And uh, Impact just put his own headstone right in the middle. And uh, slightly <laughs> larger looking than the others. He's certainly not got any ego problems, that man. <laughs> um, they're pretty sly in the hints here. Uh, he says that his headstone is insurance and that Prowl has a longer memory than he lets on. Like He's, uh-huh. he's not very good at keeping things to himself. Of course, it'd be uh, the Graves. Mark, so there isn't really a gravestone, that it's got something more, an entry to another dimension under it, probably inspired by the name of the Doctor, where the Doctor's future gravestone that is the TARDIS has that dimensional rift under it as well that uh, the villains try and use. I think that's only a, a little nod at that. Oh, I just want to say Nick Roach's self-portrait at the end of issue one with the gravestones as well. That's quite sweet. Okay, so the wreckers are assembled. Uh, let's move on to issue two. Uh, I like, uh, I, I, I love everything about Tidal Wave and the fact that he's here on the cover in disguise is is one of my favorite things about this whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, this cover, I love the sense of depth because the lines are so much softer in the in the background compared to say at the front. I think it's a fantastic effect. Hmm. Or the blue it is like looking through ice. Mm. It's quite quite bold to sell a cover as well on a 89 Micromaster and an Armada character that you're not going to recognise as that Armada character. That's that's quite a big bold. Rather like putting Springer or Cup or somebody like that on the cover. It's take out a tidal wave. And then we get Prowl's Water Stream. <laughs> <laughs> I like how pretty Cybertron looks. I want to see a, a peacetime... Cybertron book from from Roche now. Just this kind of this. Everything looks like a some sort of elven cathedral. Mm. Yeah, it's it's crystal-like rather than probably drive up these buildings. You know, on the outside, mm. uh, they look they look sort of uh, like there's roads built into them, and for a bunch of people who said it's cars, that's that is how you do a building. Wouldn't have stairs. Uh, Prowl isn't really on Happy Cybertron at all. He's in a spider's web. Who could that be? Rat Trap. Yeah, Rat Trap, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it sort of really gets quite dense from here on in. You've got Springer dealing with his post-traumatic stress syndrome. Oh, that's a wonderful panel with the Garrus 9 sky at the back. It sort of, it does everything you need to know about what's going on with Springer in one panel. That's yeah. an incredible economy of storytelling. Absolutely. And I believe there's a bit of a callback to it later on. I, I think we're going to see more of that sequence so, yeah, we've got uh, all stuff to stake out of Verity, more sandwichy stuff for them. We've got uh, the Rabbit Beast Warrior. Stampy, is it? 
Oh, something, yeah. Isn't it a wonderful point that StakeUp makes here with, you know, where it says you, because this is a, a common complaint, what the humans mean to Transformers, who live for millions and millions of years, and StakeUp saying, well, yeah, I have lived for millions of years, but, you know, five years we've spent together, you've become very important to me. I, I thought it was a, a nice way of addressing that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, cause that, that's plausible. It is plausible, and it's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it isn't true, oh. it's, it feels like something someone would say yeah it could be true yeah it could be oh yeah uh, but you know so you, you can but embedded in that you can take the idea that well you know he's just learned how to be nice in millions of years but then also like maybe this is true i mean he's probably having a better time than he is all that robot war yeah it reverses the what the human characters are saying in x robots in disguise about cybertronians where I think it might be BlackRock that says, well, you know, they live for millions of years. We mean nothing to them. We're nothing to them. Mm. It's like the prejudice. You know, they haven't really tried to understand any of them. They've just made these huge assumptions based on what they think they know, what they think they're like. And Mm. within a panel, you sort of get the, no, actually, it's not like that at all. Yeah, good point. I love uh, the look Stampy is giving Reader as he jumps (laughs) off with the bag as well. (laughs) Uh, I think this is a point uh, where it clicked for me, at least, uh, that the jokes about the Polar Bear in issue one weren't far off, and it actually is going to turn into a Beast Wars fueled and inspired comic. Were we reviewed too expecting that by this point, or? Well, you got the whale. Something, yeah, I mean, that, that issue was released, I guess, three months ahead of that cover. So you know, something's up, and they do mention the animals. Mm a few times uh, yeah I, 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 and especially with the history of you know Nick Roche uh, drawing the Dinobots the Spotlight Shockwave yeah you can kind of put the pieces together I particularly love that this is definitely an arctic hare it is a well drawn well observed arctic hare yeah we are arctic and that makes perfect sense and then at long last we have the Prowl Cup thing come up because uh, uh, well, I think one of the flaws with Last Stand, and I know this was a result of uh, uh, Last, uh, how the story evolved, because it was originally going to address this, is that it set up a follow-through on the Cup thing, the Spotlight Cup, by having Guzzle hate Cup for that, and it never paid it off. Mm. Because mm. Uh, there's Cup, Springer, Scepter are all going to die originally, and for different reasons, they all got saved. I think one was Hasbro, one was IDW, and one was the authors changing their mind. I can't remember which was which now. Perceptor was Denton, the editor, who didn't want him to die. Cup, I think, was, in the end, just James and Nick deciding no, oh, they want to just... kill him. Because Nick wanted to follow through on that, and I think he said at a convention afterwards, and then the other guys killed him instead. Well, kind of. He came back, though, so that's... Good. I don't remember who the third one was, though. Uh, Springer. Was it Springer? Okay. I can't remember what saved Springer. Did he have a toy? No, that was a good time before his toy. Yeah, that was to me. Um, yeah, Hasbro, Hasbro did. So. Yeah, he was Hasbro that said no to one. Some abstract mm. things. It's funny just because the guy who made that decision liked Springer. And he's like, oh, you can't kill him because he's my favourite. He's got better things to do tonight than die. <laughs> oh. Cup finally finds out what happened in his own spotlight. Yeah, that's a big moment. Because that was the big. That was that, those were the stakes, weren't they? Like, mm. it's better he doesn't know about this. And those are finally. It's that. That's 
finally being punctured. And how vague is Prowl that he's got this program that when he takes over Cup, he makes those flames come out of Cup's eyes to recreate the look in his own head. That, that just seems incredibly excessive. <laughs> I was going to take you over. I'm going to give you a visual makeover as well. I'm actually <laughs> just as vain as Impactor when he's making his tombstone. It's all about the look. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, just uh, uh, the body language of Cup when he puts this on is really... It's really great. You can he is drawn as he is drawn as Prowl wearing Cup's clothes. Just a brilliant sequence, uh, as is seen just a bit little bit later on, where Cup's just curled up on the floor. That he really just has to get his shit together to go sort stuff out because that's what Cup does. He doesn't. Did he find out about this in uh, Infestation as well? I mean, he forgot about it. Again. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He did. Look at what Guzzle transforms into now. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Where did he get that upgrade from? It's delightful. Just quickly mention, Guzzle has been redesigned so it's a laugh in the face of those people who announced a third-party Guzzle around the same time this came out. So, no, Guzzle doesn't look like that anymore. <laughs> I also love another colouring thing on here. Just like you got this this night blue and then mm. the, the, the totally flat yellow of, uh, of Guzzle shooting the polar bear, the polar claw. Looks great. Because I, I know at least one Beast Wars fan who was really unhappy that Polar Claw is basically just introduced to die. They felt that was the of a character who's never had a chance to do anything. Uh, I, I don't think you're that familiar with Beast Wars, are you, Barriards? How, how did you feel about the inclusion of Beast Wars elements in the story? Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with Beast Wars. I've never been a huge fan of Beast Wars, so I don't know. It's all right. It's okay. Don't dislike these characters. I don't know these characters. Who are they? Nobody knows who Polar Claw is, and we, we never okay. will. <laughs> <laughs> so. The only thing I knew about Polar Claw before this was that A, it was a, a toy once, and B, there's that panel. The only good panel, I think, in Reaching the Omega Point, the old Botcon story, which was drawn by Jeff Senior, where I think a load of dudes, a load of non-toy Beast War characters, a load of toy-only Beast War characters just get suddenly summoned out of thin air, and one of them is Polar Claw, just sitting there in his polar bear mode looking a bit confused. Oh, I bet. He probably did something in the IDW Beast Wars comic as well, if anybody ever wants to go check that out. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But I I always find that uh, there's always more characters, you know? That's the favourite toy syndrome. I don't empathise with that at all. The next thing page of interest is uh, when Carnivac comes in and there's that red panel again. Uh, mm-hmm. You were talking about earlier. It's always red. Mm. What Springer sees in his dreams. And nice conversation about how Transformers dream as well because the franchise can never decide if they dream or not. Uh, or sleep. <laughs> so that's a, uh, a nice little acknowledgement of that. Interesting. And the uh, Overlord's hand, presumably, ripping Springer's face off. Yeah. Oh, so I mean, this is just a great moment. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very rare bit of space in this comic of just Springer talking to Verity, and they're just talking to each other like quite ordinary people. I like it. Mm. And in, in the classic British soap opera style, Verity's just about to tell Springer a big secret when something happens to interrupt the conversation. Yeah, uh, a wolf. And as in many British sky. soap opera, it's a wolf. <laughs> Uh, if you're a Marvel UK fan, of course, this is quite a nice uh, thing, sort of having Carnivac and Springer back together again. Uh, near the polar bear, as they so often were in those Earth Force stories, where they would always be hanging around in the background. 
It's not really interesting that he isn't, uh, he's not a Beast Wars character either, so he's obviously just been included specifically for the Marvel UK homage to get the Mayhem Attack Squad in there, or just Mayhem as they, they are rebranded. Obviously, you'd be familiar with these characters, Tom, but uh, do you ever encounter Karnavak at the Mayhems before, Marion? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, it still worked for you, this sequence, though, uh, without uh, being familiar with the homage. No, yeah, it works perfectly. I mean, there weren't really much in uh, the Mayhem Attack Squad. was really just learn this from your blog, Stuart. But yeah, they were just... Oh, do mention my blog until the end of the podcast when I'm going to advertise it. Uh, yes, they were introduced specifically just to die about... They were like the counterpart. They were Squadron X of the Marvel comics. Uh, and they got introduced in a team-up with Wreckers uh, just to die, basically, alongside Wreckers, apart from Carnivac uh, and Catilla. Uh, Flywheels died in that story. He was in the Mayhem Attack Squad. He, he never has any luck, that guy. Aww. But uh, so it's only interesting how they avoided, when they created an arch-rival group for them in Last Sand of Wreckers, they didn't go for the obvious one of making it the Mayhems. But now uh, he sort of thought, yeah, we'll do a bit of that, but not only with Karnavak as a carryover, everything else will not be even slightly what you're expecting. Yeah, and I like uh, an Anna group being introduced that's something that hasn't been done i don't think have we had anarchists we've had like beasts and uh nihilists but not like actual anarchists yeah but there's only bits about anarchistic stuff but i don't think we've ever had anyone who's self-identified as that uh no 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 i don't believe so hmm. uh, yeah that's, that's, a, that's a nice political stand also coming back isn't purely a, uh, a a mayhem attack squad reference I gotta say because again it's Alaska and they do have wolves so if you're gonna have a wolf but if he chose a so bound setting as an Earth Force homage as well they're about sort of tales uh, yep but uh, speaking of homages and this will be a bit that will cut out again but uh, Guzzle being <laughs> uh, having sort of gone mad upgraded his body and now getting slightly off his tits on rogue fuel with the implication this isn't the first time it's happened to him does feel like Springer in Eugenesis, where he's become obsessed with bodily upgrades and has become a, a space smackhead oh. and increasingly violent and dangerous as a result. Yeah, so we can see exactly how far gone Guzzle is here. I think this might be a direct reference to what happens to him in Last Stand or the Wreckers, which is uh, the overload cuts him in half. Yeah, yeah. that as well. Do we, do we don't know why the fuel mutates them yet, do we? No. Okay. That's uh, not the first time that's happened in IDW, though, where their odd energy makes people violent. So it seems to be quite a common uh, side effect, because uh, there's all that stuff in the Finn Dilly comics uh, with that lake of evil energy on. Was that stuff in the Beast Wars comic IDW did that made everybody crazy? What was that? Uh, Amal- Amalgamos. Amalgamos. Oh, was that energy on, was it, or just... I think it was Unicron's blood. It was like oh, Dark Energy. They, they never explained it in the comic. You had to have, like, watch a Japanese Beast Wars show to understand what that was. And I'm, I never have. So that's a dead-end conversation there. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it is green in uh, traditionally. And, uh, yeah, also, like, it doesn't just power up because like, it mutates him. It's like he's getting all these mm-hmm. lesions and growths and stuff. It's kind of weird. Uh, I'm saying I love how uh, faintly annoyed Tidal Wave is. Uh, really there's absolutely no reason for this to be Tidal Wave or to be based on his Armada appearance in Robot Mode because he's got basically nothing in common with any 
<laughs> it's a totally new character, really. It's just, it's just fair to make the Armada fans happy, both of them. They're, they're, they're sat at home going, yeah, Tidal Wave! Woo-hoo! Uh, but I, just, I love his character here. It feels like yeah, uh, yeah. a Crypticon-ish when uh, Crypticon's like this much put up on posh bloke as he's occasionally returned. He's, oh, I've got to go stop on some people, though. It's a hard life. So it's, it's nice to have a giant Transformer who's articulate and just generally a bit sad. Well, yeah, he's, just, he's, he's upset. He's annoyed. Um, I, I like that. And he feels put upon. I think it's just an amazing comedy there of a gigantic battle station man feeling like like people aren't aren't you know respecting him enough <laughs> and, uh, they're um, doing this on purpose they're doing this on purpose to annoy him am i getting this right is everything actually inside of him yeah uh, yeah. yes yeah so yeah Except i'd be really annoyed if i were him as well in that case He's got a portal to a nightmare dimension stuck in his belly. He's, he's not a happy man. Oh man, the stomachache alone would just kill you, wouldn't he? And he's got he's got oh, steak out mix. stuck in his transformation cog at this point. I would be very grumpy. <laughs> Guzzle of your man, he's, he's having a great time with his my favourite species, endangered. <laughs> so he's also done a bit of homework onto Earth animal life, just to get his quips ready. Which I think it gets lampshaded as well a bit later on, doesn't it? With RC going, I know I've no idea what jokes to make because I've not done my homework. Yeah. How do I? Yeah. How do I uh, do a one-liner for a giant mollusk? You've got to prepare him in advance. That's that's the key. So then, Prowl, all strung up. Yes. Uh, and we've not really talked about uh, Aquitus uh, because it is just a MacGuffin, really. Is it Aquitus? Uh, Aquitus. I say Aquitus. You say Aquitus, I say Aquitus. Uh, it probably wrong. Uh, how would you say, Tom? Just so I don't. Uh, I don't think I've ever said it. Uh, say it now. See what feels good coming out of your mouth. <laughs> Aquitus. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know. Aquatias. <laughs> well, the the, the A E. It's that's that's an air. It's like encyclope- encyclopedia, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um. So it's like a silent A. Yeah, and the word sounds like equity. Equitous fin. Or proof, yeah. as the mysterious uh, old friend of Prowls seems to think it is. Uh, how are we saying his name, actually, while we're doing pronunciations? Uh, Mesothulus. Okay. Mesothulus. I'll go with that. I think I'd say Mesothulus, but Mesothulus works. Okay, sure. That's, that's a bit more devilly. But a tarantula is not in the uh, order uh, Mesothulus. I don't know what the order of is. It's a type of spider, isn't it? Which is not a... You've been talking to Chris, you two have, and paying attention <laughs> to what he's insane. Uh, nice last panel where they sort of acknowledge that the Autobot logo is based on Bowel's head. Oh, so they as do. Well. Where his, uh, his blacked-out eye matches up with that as well, which makes me think again that it's uh, something Nick Roach actually asks for in advance. I don't know, he, he's a smart lad, he could have taken advantage of it on the fly. And uh, yeah, Mesothulus or Mesothulus has a data disc. Uh-huh. As I was trying to say before we got to the pronunciation, it's sort of hard to care about the disc itself because it is just a MacGuffin rather than it's a motivation for why the characters are doing what they're doing. And Does it feel to you two perhaps events have overtook it slightly because there's been so much... So when Last Stand happened... The idea of Autobot war crimes was quite a bold and interesting and unprecedented one. You could see why they'd be keen to keep it a secret. But 
both Roberts and Barber have really built on that a lot since. So we've got Autobot War Crimes coming out of our ears that everybody seems to know about <laughs> and uh, be aware of. So does it feel as dangerous information as it would have five years ago now to you two? I'm dying to find out what's in it. It's going to have to be, as you say, now it's going to have to live up to its uh, expectation. But yeah, please, what what is in that bloody disc? It's, uh, I don't know what Flame was up to, because that was one of the guys you saw in Last Stand on trial. What naughty Flame is he up to? I'm, I agree with you, Stuart. I think, um, yeah, I, I think like the political climate we're, we're supposed to be aware of has has passed on. But I guess like at this point, it's personally... It represents a failure and and a an oversight to Prowl. That it, it's not so much now about what Flame got up to. I guess people are beyond caring now. Starscream. <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, you know, the the people they're trying to impress, or the Galactic Council, whoever. Like Starscream's running the planet now. Like he's not even ashamed of his war crimes. No, I suppose what we haven't mentioned actually is that all of this is ripped from the headlines, basically. To What's the word? Satire uh, of uh, WikiLeaks or mm-hmm. WrecaLeaks? Uh, I think, uh, didn't Nick Craig say he wanted to call it WrecaLeaks at one point? So is that something I was imagining? Uh, I'm glad, glad he didn't. I don't think he genuinely did, but he did compare oh, it to... to <laughs> yeah, no, there is, a, there, is a, there is certainly a comparison. It's what it's about. It's making information publicly available and the questions around whether is that a good idea is people knowing about what's happened the best thing for everyone or not who gets to make that decision and uh, you know does anyone have good answers that's a good um that, 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 that's uh, that's something i hadn't really considered Stuart. i guess yeah in in story in the story universe i guess the the autobots war crimes aren't such a big deal but i guess in the real world in the context in which this was released like i suppose this has become more more part of the cultural conversation so yeah i guess it I suppose it's that we know our government is as dodgy as fuck on many aspects of its behaviour, but you'd still be quite interested in finding out exactly what they've been up to mm. in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places we brought freedom to. Well, so that's a, I mean, the, the the main problem with all the WikiLeaks stuff wasn't that they were doing no. it to baddies, they were doing it to, you know, us. Like people for uh, GCHQ could be listening in on this very conversation illegally well, against oh, national law. Recording, but they might actually be listed in. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that that that's what we learned. That's like it was much much worse than anyone dared to think. I mean, it's like it's dystopian what we learned from WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. From from that that from that Edward Snowden drop to WikiLeaks particularly. I mean, WikiLeaks have been up for ages, but uh, yeah, it's. it's I mean, there's the, the, one of the first lines here in issue three is like, ethics seems besides the point, says Tarantulas. And uh, so issue three, uh, it, it, I was thinking uh, when I was reading back that the cover to this one is oddly irrelevant, but it's not at all. It's uh, because the gravestone actually features later with issue and you've got Prowl's shadow behind Cup, mm-hmm. in, uh, which I hadn't noticed uh, up until just this very second. That's <laughs> quite... You not noticing shadows. Yeah, oh, that's a call back to my blog there, Tom. <laughs> mm. And the radiation suits from Spotlight Cup. It's uh, apparently the design of those didn't really change much in millions of years. Well, what works, works. Oh, so, and you, uh, in fact, you can see... Uh, Osteros. Uh, yep, the Tarantulus is building 
just casually the background there with a couple of panels we've sort of uh, uh, set him up quite nicely mm, he's very happy as well he's innocent that's why he's a pure <laughs> innocent I think this is a good point today to talk about Prowl's character across IDW because we find out here that he has deliberately blown up a neutral city to get people signed up to the Autobots, which is exactly what the Decepticons were doing in state games. Uh, oh. They got, they were gonna, I can't remember which Decepticons it was now, uh, which of the city leaders was going to do that, but they got Tornado with another guy to go try and blow up a city to uh, to get people to sign up to the Decepticons. So Prowl is basically using full-on evil Decepticon tactics here. But I think I want this addresses later on is uh, the Prowl has been quite inconsistently written across IDW, for me anyway. Uh, first few years, he was sort of a he's Marvel character, a sort of stoic, sensible guy. Then Last Stand happens, and that was really where the complete dodgy bastard Prowl really started uh, properly. I mean, other writers grabbed it and tried to do things with it. I don't think anywhere like it successfully. Uh, I think Nick Roach and uh, Robert, when he's working on records as well, is really the only person to have written a good prowl since they decided to make him like this. I don't think Mike Costa did it very well. I don't think I can't even remember if he was really in the McCarthy um, stuff. No, so he was sidelined actually. And I, I don't like John Barber's prowl either very much. Uh, due to the consistent ride scene. Uh, so how do you two feel about prowl in IDW? I agree with what you're saying. I think it's been inconsistently written. I feel like I have gotten more of a glimpse into Prowl from Sins of the Wreckers and Last Stand and even Shadowplay and even just people randomly talking about him in More Than Meets the Eye than I have of him being in a whole season front centre of ex-Roberts in Disguise. And... <laughs> That's not to say that uh, the way John Barber writes Prowl is bad. It's just that it's not quite... I think Nick and uh, James have written Prowl to be something that's special. You know, he's um, he's very good at what he does. And the way Barber writes him, that kind of composure and that kind of like, you know, having planned everything years and years and years in advance doesn't come across. He's just this brute doing things. You know, he's still scheming. He still has, you know, things in place, but it's just not at all on the same level. And, uh, yeah, when when we got Sins of the Records, I felt like I hadn't read the Prowl story in years, which was a very odd feeling to have. Uh, that, that's very well put. I I, I agree. Uh, inconsistency's been the name of the game. I I quite liked the first flush of the RID story. I don't think it, uh, the mind control reveal and all. I think it all collapsed uh, under its own weight. But I really like the idea of Prowl losing it. That idea of him suddenly being in a situation where he's out of his depth and and can't control it and just becomes this thug. I thought that was quite credible. Uh, I think. The like the Nick Roche, James Roberts Prowl, he's like a bit supernatural in how talented he is, and uh, that loses me a little bit. But I, I think he's more delicious here. He's more delicious as a villain who's on the side of the heroes. He's very effective. But I, I, I mean, we've talked about this before off mic. But 
it's and I suppose Stuart, you've got a lot to say about this coming up quite soon. Oh. But I feel, I, he's been overexposed. He's been overexposed. You need only a little bit. And that's I think that's why he's been so effective in more than it's the eye because he's been off screen the whole time, just talked about. And I was hoping to see the end of Prowl in this series. Well, maybe we will. Oh, no. I'll save that for the end. This is where Tom could go off and I'll still be ranting. <laughs> uh, I think maybe that's our constraints as well. Like Prowl having to become a combiner lame. Uh, thanks to Combiner Wars, which mm. I've noticed actually they've kind of, since then, I was thinking about this when I was reading uh, the most recent issue of Robots in Disguise, they're kind of ignoring the fact that Optimus Prime is a combiner now. Because there's been a few instances where he'd be able to combine would be quite useful if he got his whole, whole team on him. And uh, they're just not doing that at all. So obviously they decided that was just a toy promotion. They're now going to ignore completely. Isn't half his team gone now? Well, but he could combine them. Presumably, no. Is, it, is that not how it works? We can all... No, that's how the toys work, actually. Maybe not the fiction as such. Oh, you flew my point there. Oh. <laughs> but, but what I liked here, though, was especially later on, where they directly acknowledge all that we just said by Tarantulas going to Prowl. You're, you go through these crazy phases of completely changing your personality and it never works, does it? This is what you really like. And that feels like it's close to saying none of the ways he's written the last couple of years have really worked as a comic could possibly get away with so I really like that it made everything click together pretty solidly for me what, and what it also, a lot of issues it also works totally as like Tarantulas' stick here and I don't think I'm, I'm off base to say that like Tarantulas is a clingy ex right and, and that is the kind of thing a clingy ex would say like oh you've tried it with other people but you were never as good as you were when you were with me. Like that, that is a frighteningly real. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something people actually say. It is sort of sly that it works on those two levels. Like we have actually seen Prowl be a bit all over the map, but then it works dramatically for this character. It's a uh, spot on, I think, what you're saying. Clingy X is well, Clingy X is putting it mildly. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> more disturbing things than clinging, mm. but that's a hundred percent what the, this has been written as. You know, no, you don't need anyone else. You just need me. You just want to be with me. We two have, you know, we're meant to be together. We shine together. Everything we do is gold, and you know, you want to be here. This is all you want to do, right? You just want to be here. Forget all these other things. This is what it's all about. It's uh, it's frightening. You almost feel like Prowl. He's in a different kind of danger than just danger of being killed in the next panel. It's, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's Prowl. It's hard to tell how much all of this is affecting him. Uh, but if it was any other character, I would say this is a little bit hardcore. Yeah, I mean, Pr- Prowl's very sensitive. He's a lot more sensitive than he lets on with all the table flipping. And I mean, look at how he breaks up so to speak, with Tarantulas. If that scene is as, as, as we're expected to believe, he, he doesn't do things by halves when it comes to an emotional reaction. Hmm. It's, it's very like how the Master has been written since uh, Doctor Who came back as well. The sort of, oh, go on, you, re- you really wanted to hang out with me like we used to in the old days. Don't, remember the... The good old days back home before we started murdering lots of people. God, come back and hang out. That's all I'm doing this for, is to be your mate again. It's uh, 
A bit later, where Dracula says, all I want to do is be your pal again, that basically uh, sees a cliffhanger from not this most recent season of Doctor Who, but the one before, where the Master was going, or uh, Missy, as she is now, was going, I've got this army of Cybermen just for you. That's all it's been about. Just for you, my old mates. Come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've seen that one. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So, really quickly then, some plot points. We've got, we find out that Mesothelus is responsible for Equitas, he's responsible for spark extraction, uh, he's responsible for worse things that never got used, such as the noise maze, and uh, he also devised this uh, this sort of like prison state of mind where you just get your, you know, your, your best dreams being lived over and over again that Prowl thought was too nice a punishment for anybody. <laughs> but uh, then we've got the scene, the flashback of uh, Mesothelus being attacked, thrown into the noise maze. Now, this has been talked about a lot. And on first read, you just assume this is a direct continuity of the previous scene. Prowl is uh, pushing Mesothelus into the maze. But a lot of people have pointed out that this isn't necessarily the case. And that isn't, mm. that's not necessarily Prowl. That's not necessarily a direct follow-up from what we were looking at earlier. And um, the other question uh, is, uh, what did happen to Osterus? Is that how you say his name? Osterus, I think so. Yeah, so what, what did happen to him? Is he someone who's around right now? Is Prowl lying? Uh, if, and my, my question is, does Prowl actually know what happened to him? Or if that person who shot Mesothelus into the noise maze isn't, in fact, Prowl, did he spare him when he was not supposed to? Lots of questions there. So what do you guys think is actually going on? Well, I mean, is it, it would be weird, right, if Osterus wasn't Springer. Or with Pactor, the Pactor's the one who knows all about the noise maze. Well, I would, I would assume the one who pushes Mistotelus into the maze is Springer. Is uh, sorry, is in Pactor, mm. and uh, Osterus is Springer. That would be my guess. Uh, I quite like it if we never know, and it's left ambiguous what happened to him, and you have to decide for yourself what Prowl did there. But like you two, I think it's inevitable he's going to be one of the other characters, whether it's some sort of. Not maybe not what you expected. Mm-hmm. Oh God, Verity's gonna turn out to be him. She's that's out of this. It's ah, it's me all along. We've got the noise maze bit where Hubcub seems entirely unaffected, and then we see Hubcub uh, stood next to Mesothelus in the end. Do we think Hubcup is a traitor? Do we think he's unaffected because he has this special thing going on with frequencies, so he can block them out if he knows what they are? He says, Verity, I think what you did with Prowl, blackmailing Prowl, was really brave, which is an odd thing to say. Mm. And uh, I don't know, as a completely random thing to throw out there, Prowl was indirectly responsible for Pipes' death. Oh. oh. It's all for Pipes. Certainly, Pipes was the Osterous guy. <laughs> I would guess he's immune to the noise maze because he's been given the same protection, the, uh, the mayhems have at least up until he makes Mr. Squid Man. I'm not sure what his what's his name, uh Fat Beast Wars character, Tom? Clawjaw. Clawjaw has protection from it until Hubcap makes his head explode. Which is an odd thing to do to your ally, actually. Hmm. Uh, so I guess he's been given the same sort of thing there and be told how to do it in advance. Hmm. He's obviously he's uh Tarantulus is inside man in the group. He mentions uh, whether he's really the inside man, I have would it surprise you if it turns out he's played a double game mm. or if Prowl has somehow set all this up in advance? 
And that would be the twist that Hubcap was working for him all along or something like that. There's a few ways that could go. Yeah, there's something else we need to be told about Hubcap, I'm sure. Mm. But I, I like him in Always Amazed, where he sort of sets up a cliche with humans in Transformers where because Verity is immune to it, oh, this will be where having a human becomes important. Ah, you know, she'll do something now. And then that instantly gets cut off by Hubcap <laughs> making his other guy's head explode and then putting his fists in to grab her. It's a nice little subversion of uh, the cliche there. Well, I suppose that's going to come up again. Probably, yes. Verity's going to have to go into the noise maze to catch Stampy or something. <laughs> so we get the reveal. We get the reveal that Mysticalus is Tarantulas and he's a scary Tarantula. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah we didn't actually mention that. Uh, apparently, quite an accurate Tarantula as well, I've been told. Yeah, we have a fellow <laughs> TF archiver, Chris Catherine, who's just... I believe, is it Notabot or Numbat he's on the archive? I always get those two mixed up. I think he's Numbat. Uh, he is he's just been named a fellow of the Royal Entomological Society, so he knows his stuff on spiders. Congratulations, Chris. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, but he's never noticed that a spider isn't that big. So I would say he doesn't deserve his position. <laughs> They're not that big, Chris. Stop saying it's an accurate spider. It's not. It's 5,000 times bigger uh, than a real spider. That's a major flaw there. I'm going to phone up the Royal Society. And, man, you're not that long-haired blonde guy from arachnophobia. He's got uh, he's got his students identifying tarantulas down to the infra order, I think he said, uh, this week, which is pretty cool. Must be pretty cool being one of Chris's students. And this is the thing I really wanted to know from him, uh, which I suspected was the case. Tarantulas is a girl spider. Uh-huh. Well, I wanted to know if it was a boy spider or a girl spider, just to kind of get a, a handle on how this relationship between Prowl and Tarantulas panned out, that sort of thing, you know, positions and such. But um, <laughs> you can tell the difference between a boy spider and a girl spider because the pedipalps, the front bits, are kind of like the, uh, the mouth parts, Mm-hmm. In, in males, they're modified to be a penis. They actually put it down towards their spider testicles and then pull out a load of sperm and then kind of try and punch that onto the lady spider's epigene. They've got kind of a pugilistic mating approach. So before we wrap up with our final thoughts, is there any specific bits of you two want to talk about? Anything you want to say, Tom, before we wrap up? I love Stakeout's death. I like we get like a little bit of, of characterization for Carnivac. So it's a, you know, I, I can definitely see what you were saying earlier that this was probably, most of this ended up in the cutting room floor. But I think it's effective what we've got. Yes, yeah, so that was a bit I was going to mention actually, uh, his death, because uh, that does feel like it's setting up uh, a heel turn for Carnivac. It's sort of giving him layers. He's not just in it to be a bit of a thug and mind this. He's a former student of Alpha Magnus. He has principles and standards. I think if Tarantulas turns up to be up to some really dodgy shit, he will side with Wreckers, which would be my guess in terms of what will probably happen. Hmm. It's interesting that, that um, I guess the Mayhems, they just seem to be pawns, but I guess they really do have a stake in here. If they can grab Prowl and destabilize Prowl in any way, that totally fits their agenda. Hmm. So what what do you think is happening in the next two issues? Where is this all going? I guess Prowl's on trial. We'll get to see what went down with Roadbuster's cadets. Hmm. I, I made some guesses as we've gone along, but generally I'm not entirely sure. It's pretty much feels like I sort of guess a couple of specific plot points, but the overall direction it's headed in, I'm really not sure about, so I quite like that. Hmm. Uh, 
I mean, so, I know you're, you're really upset, Stuart, at the fact that we know that Prowl is fine at the end of all this, but I would never have expected Prowl to die in a side story when he's been such a major character in uh, X-Robots in Disguise. So, I, I mean, I know it's, it's frustrating, but... Uh, it's yeah. I've got your rant uh, saved from the last three podcasts, so if you want me to just copy-paste that in here, I can do that. Or you, you can, you can have another go. <laughs> so, Stuart, tell us, um, tell us about um, a thing that's upsetting you. Well, thank you. What you may not know is, because I keep it deep hidden within me, is that spoilers for those of you who haven't read issue 50 of X-Robots in Disguise, uh, but it's only a brief cameo, is that Prowl is in that. And yeah, we were probably expecting Prowl to survive, but personally I was hoping this would be the final Prowl story in some way, shape or form, even if it didn't kill him, because he's been sort of so badly handled over the last few years, it felt like he needed to be sort of closed off. Uh, but from Robot in Disguise 50, we know that he is, A, going to be fine. B, still missing his eye. He must really have a thing for that, but he's not got to fix him that yet. He's got a, a data pad from somewhere, and he hasn't got to the eye clinic. Now we know he's basically exactly the same as he was before, because he's having a rant in his one scene about issue about the way Optimus Prime is behaving. It sounds exactly like how he was talking beforehand so this feels like it's now going to be a story of no consequence whatsoever to Prowl's character but unless there's some sort of clever subversion going on in Robots in Disguise 50 where he's, I mean, he's having an argument about Prime he's actually going oh Prime should be nice that's a lesson I learned in last Sins of Wreckers be a good person but it, it felt like it was no change to him and that's annoying to know that in advance because even if Wreckers had stayed on schedule it would still not be finished at the point that issue would come out. And it feels like it kicks the legs out uh, under, from something. I've lost my metaphor there. It feels like it kicks the legs out from under the suspense of the series. And that's a metaphor that works, damn it. It works. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm, I was very annoyed by that. It was otherwise a pretty solid and enjoyable XRD50. It was just, uh, you didn't need proud. At least Cup and RC are doing things in that series. So you go, okay. Takes a bit of Spencer from there, but their main characters were doing stuff. That was like a one-page appearance by Prowl. He didn't need to be in the comic. There's something involved in him in issue 51 that works much better, which uh, I won't go into huge details with because Mario hasn't read it, but it works there as a parallel to something that happens in this comic. But his appearance in 50 doesn't work and quite annoying me. And boo, I say, to the decision to include it. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, you're not wrong. Uh, I don't feel too bad about it because I don't know. I, I, I in, in my head, since the records are kind of happening in its own little world, it's nice when it has these touches to Robots in Disguise and more than meets the eye, but I feel this stands as its own work well enough. I know what you're saying. It feels like even in that one panel, sure, the Prowl is just Prowl. Uh, nothing's happening between, but I think there's a huge scope for things to be different at the end of this. Even just you know the um, the transcripts getting out there that would have huge repercussions, you'd imagine, given how delicate things are with the Autobots at the moment, what Optimus Prime is trying to do on Earth, and uh, the fragile relations with the colonies. Yeah, and the uh, you know the grey 
morality of the some of the Decepticon groups we've encountered. I think there's uh, there's still a lot that can happen here. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe those two kids are gonna get married and have lots of spider babies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's the only thing we're not considering. Maybe they do hook up again. Well, you, you only see Prowl from the waist up in uh, maybe even the stuff from the shoulders in Robots in the Sky. So he might just be in a big web whilst he's looking at that. The big sort of uh, tendrils round Prowl giving him a big hug going, oh, it's, it's good to be back together, you little... Come back to bed. <laughs> Turn the telly off. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to go for that. He's, he's, that he's turned into part spider like Mohawk at the end of Gremlins 2. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're writing our own much better comic. <laughs> Submit it to, to Spider Prowl. I tied by that. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, final thoughts then, people, uh, on the first three issues. Uh, I, I think this is a very impressive, accomplished comic. Uh, artistically, I think it's, it's a real crowning point for Nick Roche, and I'm really pleased that uh, even though he has to take a break he's going to be carrying it all the way to the finish line i think that, that's a, a big sticking point for me about last time of the wreckers as much as i like guido gd i, I, I would have preferred that to have been all roche all the time um, and i'm really looking forward to, to the ending mm, i think the decision to just pause was definitely the right one i'd rather have this as a complete book as intended um the vision be realized as you know nick wanted it and um then, you know, have someone just fill in and end up with a trade that is kind of inconsistent. I, I don't mind waiting at all. I think most people who are picking this book up are not going to mind waiting at all. So issue four is due to come out in April. So by the time this comes out, it's going to be quite close. Uh, so do you all get ready to buy, people. Yeah, um, it's out there. You get to find out whether Prowl and um, Masophilus hook up or not. <laughs> Yeah. This odd agreement postponement for the sake of the art was a, a, a good thing. Uh, and uh, because it's hard to imagine any of the other artists matching this style as well. I mean, uh, Guido did a good job on Last Stand, uh, but this isn't the Jeff Senior influence Nick Roach like Last Stand was. This is something a bit different. I can't think off the top of my head of another artist of the IDW books who could have made a neat match for this. Uh, but consistent colouring might have helped. Uh, I don't know, but. And I think overall, you know, Nick Roach is probably the most consistent creative talent IDW have. If he draws something, it always looks great. If he writes something, it's always great. When he's doing both, they're both great. So I don't think he's ever really took a misstep in either field. You know, even the best of the other authors have had their off days or made their mistakes. He's pretty much always straight down the line. So I'm really looking forward to these last two issues. I hopefully won't prove my last sentence wrong. And I think there's some good stuff coming in April. Okay. It's always lovely talking about this stuff with you guys. Uh, when, what are we going to do next? I would imagine next one... Well, we always say what we're going to do next when we do something else. <laughs> Probably it'll be uh, Mortal Meteor 51 will be the next one, I would think. He says that's oh, like I, next I, week. I, I, I'd quite like to do Robots in Disguise 50. I know there's probably not as much to talk about there. But oh, Marianne, you can do 51 as well, you, actually, if you want to. Yeah, well, when, you, when you read 51, do you want to talk about that? Okay, let's go for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk about All Hell, uh, All Hell Optimus. Thank you for listening, everybody. At TF Archive, there is a discussion thread where if you sign up, you can leave feedback, ask 
things that you might like to hear us talk about in future. And we're on iTunes, as I keep saying now, so I'm quite excited by that. So you can subscribe and have it plugged directly into your device. Like and download of an Aquatius trial transcript. <laughs> Aquatius, even. I'm, I'm going with my pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> and the three of us are all on Twitter. I am at Inflatable Dalek. Marion is... I'm Morta. I'm a double M-O-R-T-A-H. And Tom is... Jerome McNally, all one word. And uh, if you've enjoyed this and would like to hear more of my name ramblings, why not check out my website and blog, uh, The Solar Pool, uh, weebly.com, where every week I talk about an issue of a British Transformers comic. And it's sort of a reverse of this... I'd said point out things that have an influence on IDW comics rather than the other way around. Uh, Tom, do you have anything you'd like to promote that you're up to? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm working on an audio play at the moment. Uh, if you like my voice and my uh, my wild gesticulations, which cannot be heard, uh, then there's, uh, there's uh, several hours of it available at the saga of the European King. Bandcamp.com. Uh, there's uh, the second book of that is going to come out very soon, uh, around May, May the 16th, I think. And is, is there anything you'd like to promote, Marion, that you're up to? Well, I suppose I should mention, I do like taking pictures. I have a Tumblr account which focuses specifically on my toy photography, and a lot of that happens to be Transformers. So follow the link that's on my Twitter, and that's going to take you to my Flickr and the various other places where you can see some of that. And you can also get phone covers with Marion's photos on. I've got one myself. It's incredibly tough, because she demonstrated when we were at the James Roberts sign the other week, <laughs> but she just threw it on the floor violently. Yeah, let's see how strong that is. And, you know, it didn't even crack, so it's, it doesn't make phone calls anymore, but the case is fine. I was just testing the quality shit there. I see, it was brilliant. And on that bombshell, we will see you all next time, people. Everybody take care. Farewell. Bye.